Section nine of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew. Volume one. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk. Part nine. Of Costermongers and Thieves. Concerning the connection of these two classes, I had the following account from a costermonger. I've known the coster trade for twelve years and never knew thieves go out a-costering as a cloak they may have done so but i very much doubt it thieves go for an idle life and costermongering don't suit them our chaps don't care a d blank n who they associate with if they're thieves they meet em all the same or anything that way but costers buy what they call a gift maybe it's a watch or coat what's been stolen from any that has it to sell a man will say if you've a few shillings you may make a good thing of it why this identical watch is only twenty shillings and it's worth fifty so if the coster has money he buys thieves will get thruppence where a mechanic or a coster will earn a halfpenny and the most ignorant of our people has a queer sort of respect for thieves because of the money they make poverty's as much despised among costers as among other people people that's badly off among us are called cursed in bad weather it's common for costers to curse themselves as they call having no trade well i'm cursed they say when they can make no money it's a common thing among them to shout after anyone they don't like that's reduced well ain't you cursed the costers i am credibly informed gamble a great deal with the wealthier class of thieves and win of them the greater part of the money they get of the more provident costermongers concerning this head i give the statement of a man whose information i found fully confirmed we are not such a degraded set as some believe sir but a living doesn't tumble into a man's mouth nowadays a good many of us costers rises into greengrocers and coal sheds and still carries on their rounds as costers all the same why in locksfields i could show you twenty such and you'd find them very decent men sir very there's one man i know that's risen that way who is worth hundreds of pounds and keeps his horse and cart like a gentleman they rises to be voters and they all vote liberal some marry the better kind of servants such servant maids as wouldn't marry a rag and bottle shop but doesn't object to a coal shed it's mostly younger men that manages this as far as i've observed these costers after they has settled and got to be housekeepers don't turn their backs on their old mates they'd have a nice life of it if they did yes a very nice life of the homes of the costermongers the costermongers usually reside in the courts and alleys in the neighbourhood of the different street markets they themselves designate the locality where so to speak a colony of their people has been established a costa district and the entire metropolis is thus parcelled out almost as systematically as if for the purposes of registration these costermonger districts are as follows and are here placed in the order of the numerical importance of the residents the newcut lambeth whitecross street leather lane the brill somerstown whitechapel camberwell walworth peckham bermondsey the broadway westminster shoreditch paddington and edgware road tottenham court road drury lane old street road clare market ratcliffe highway lisson grove petticoat and rosemary lane marylebone lane 
Oxford Street, Rotherhithe, Detford, Dockhead, Greenwich, Commercial Road East, Poplar, Limehouse, Bethnal Green, Hackney Road, Kingsland, Camden Town. The homes of the costermongers in these places may be divided into three classes. Firstly, those who, by having a regular trade or by prudent economy, are enabled to live in comparative ease and plenty. Secondly, those who, from having a large family or by imprudent expenditure, are, as it were, struggling with the world. And thirdly, those who, for want of stock money or ill success in trade, are nearly destitute. The first home I visited was that of an old woman who, with the assistance of her son and girls, contrived to live in a most praiseworthy and comfortable manner. She and all her family were teetotalers, and may be taken as a fair type of the thriving costermonger. As I ascended a dark flight of stairs, a savoury smell of stew grew stronger at each step I mounted. The woman lived in a large, airy room on the first floor the drawing-room, as she told me, laughing at her own joke, well lighted by a clean window, and I found her laying out the savoury-smelling dinner looking most temptingly clean. The floor was as white as if it had been newly planed. The coke-fire was bright and warm, making the lid of the tin saucepan on it rattle up and down as the steam rushed out. The wall over the fireplace was patched up to the ceiling with little square pictures of saints, and on the mantelpiece, between a row of bright tumblers and wine-glasses filled with odds and ends, stood glazed crockery-ware images of Prince Albert and Monsieur Julien. Against the walls, which were papered with hangings of four different patterns and colours, were hung several warm shawls, and in the band-box, which stood on the stained chest of drawers, you could tell that the Sunday bonnet was stowed safely away from the dust. A turn-up bedspread thrown back, and covered with a many-coloured patchwork quilt, stood opposite to a long dresser, with its mugs and cups dangling from the hooks, and the clean blue plates and dishes ranged in order at the back. There were a few bushel baskets piled up in one corner. "'But the apples smelt so,' she said. "'They left them in a stable at night.' By the fire sat the woman's daughter, a pretty, meek-faced, grey-eyed girl of sixteen, who was home nursing for a cold. Steve, her boy, I was informed, was out working. With his help, the woman assured me, she could live very comfortably. God be praised! And when he got the barrow he was promised, she gave me to understand that their riches were to increase past reckoning. Her girl, too, was to be off at work as soon as Spratz came in. It's on Lord Mayor's day they comes in said a neighbour, who had rushed up to see the strange gentleman. "'They says he has them on his table, but I never see them. They never gives us the pieces, no, not even the heads.' And every one laughed to their utmost. The good old dame was in high spirits, her dark eyes sparkling as she spoke about her Steve. The daughter, in a little time, lost her bashfulness, and informed me that one of the Polish refugees was a courting Mrs. M. Blank, who had given him a pair of black eyes. On taking my leave, I was told by the mother that their silver-gilt Dutch clock, with its glass face and black-leaded weights, was the best one in London, and might be relied on with the greatest safety. 
as a specimen of the dwellings of the struggling costas the following may be cited the man a tall thick-built almost good-looking fellow with a large fur cap on his head lived with his family in a front kitchen and as there were with his mother-in-law five persons and only one bed i was somewhat puzzled to know where they could all sleep the barrow standing on the railings over the window half shut out the light and when any one passed there was a momentary shadow thrown over the room and a loud rattling of the iron gratings above that completely prevented all conversation when i entered the mother-in-law was reading aloud one of the threepenny papers to her son who lolled on the bed that with its curtains nearly filled the room there was the usual attempt to make the fireside comfortable the stone sides had been well whitened and the mantelpiece decorated with its small tin trays tumblers and a piece of looking-glass a cat with a kitten were seated on the hearth-rug in front they keeps the varmint away said the woman stroking the puss and gives a look of home by the drawers were piled up four bushel baskets and in a dark corner near the bed stood a tall measure full of apples that scented the room over the head on a string that stretched from wall to wall dangled a couple of newly washed shirts and by the window were two stone barrels for lemonade when the costa visited the fairs and races whilst we were talking the man's little girl came home for a poor man's child she was dressed to perfection her pinafore was clean her face shone with soap and her tidy cotton print gown had clearly been newly put on that morning she brought news that janey was coming home from auntie's and instantly a pink cotton dress was placed by the mother-in-law before the fire to air note it appeared that janey was out at service and came home once a week to see her parents and take back a clean frock End note. although these people were living so to speak in a cellar still every endeavour had been made to give the home a look of comfort the window with its paper-patched panes had a clean calico blind the side table was dressed up with yellow jugs and cups and saucers and the bandboxes had been stowed away on the flat top of the bedstead all the chairs which were old-fashioned mahogany ones had sound backs and bottoms of the third class or the very poor i chose the following type out of the many others that presented themselves the family here lived in a small slanting roofed house partly stripped of its tiles more than one half of the small leaden squares of the first floor window were covered with brown paper puffing out and crackling in the wind while through the greater part of the others were thrust out ball-shaped bundles of rags to keep out the breeze the panes that did remain were of all shapes and sizes and at a distance had the appearance of yellow glass they were so stained with dirt i opened a door with a number chalked on it and groped my way up a broken tottering staircase it took me some time after i had entered the apartment before i could get accustomed to the smoke that came pouring into the room from the chimney the place was filled with it curling in the light and making everything so indistinct that i could with difficulty see the white mugs ranged in the corner cupboard not three yards from me when the wind was in the north or when it rained it was always that way i was told but otherwise 
said an old dame about sixty with long grisly hair spreading over her black shawl it is pretty good for that on a mattress on the floor lay a pale-faced girl eighteen years old last twelfth cake day her drawn-up form showing in the patchwork counterpane that covered her she had just been confined and the child had died a little straw stuffed into an old tick was all she had to lie upon and even that had been given up to her by the mother until she was well enough to work again to shield her from the light of the window a cloak had been fastened up slantingly across the panes and on a string that ran along the wall was tied amongst the bonnets a clean nightcap against the doctor came as the mother curtsying informed me by the side of the bed almost hidden in the dark shade was a pile of sieve baskets crowned by the flat shallow that the mother worked with the room was about nine feet square and furnished a home for three women the ceiling slanted like that of a garret and was the colour of old leather excepting a few rough white patches where the tenants had rudely mended it the white light was easily seen through the laths and in one corner a large patch of the paper looped down from the wall one night the family had been startled from their sleep by a large mass of mortar just where the roof bulged in falling into the room we never want rain-water the woman told me for we can catch plenty just over the chimney-place they had made a carpet out of three or four old mats they were obligated to it for fear of dropping anything through the boards into the donkey stables in the parlour underneath but we only pay ninepence a week rent said the old woman and mustn't grumble the only ornament in the place was on the mantelpiece an old earthenware sugar basin well silvered over that had been given by the eldest girl when she died as a remembrance to her mother two cracked teacups on their inverted saucers stood on each side and dressed up the fireside into something like tidiness the chair i sat on was by far the best out of the three in the room and that had no back and only half its quantity of straw the parish the old woman told me allowed her one shilling a week and two loaves but the doctor ordered her girl to take sago and milk and she was many a time sorely puzzled to get it the neighbours helped her a good deal and often sent her part of their unsold greens even if it was only the outer leaves of the cabbages she was thankful for them her other girl a big-boned wench with a red shawl crossed over her bosom and her black hair parted on one side did all she could and so they lived on as long as they kept out of the big house the workhouse she would not complain i never yet beheld so much destitution born with so much content verily the acted philosophy of the poor is a thing to make those who write and preach about it hide their heads of the dress of the costermongers from the homes of the costermongers we pass on to a consideration of their dress the costermonger's ordinary costume partakes of the durability of the warehouseman's with the quaintness of that of the stable-boy a well-to-do coster when dressed for the day's work usually wears a small cloth cap a little on one side a close-fitting worsted tie-up skull-cap is very fashionable just now among the class and ringlets at the temples are looked up to as the height of elegance hats they never wear 
excepting on Sunday, on account of their baskets being frequently carried on their heads. Coats are seldom indulged in. Their waistcoats, which are of a broad-ribbed corduroy, with fustian back and sleeves, being made as long as a groom's, and buttoned up nearly to the throat. If the corduroy be of a light sandy colour, then plain brass or sporting buttons, with raised foxes or stags' heads upon them, or else black bone buttons with a flower pattern, ornament the front. But if the cord be of a dark ratskin hue, then mother-of-pearl buttons are preferred. Two large pockets, sometimes four, with huge flaps or lapels like those in a shooting coat, are commonly worn. If the costermonger be driving a good trade, and have his set of regular customers, he will sport a blue cloth jacket, similar in cut to the cord ones above described, but this is looked upon as an extravagance of the highest order, for the slime and scales of the fish stick to the sleeves and shoulders of the garment, so as to spoil the appearance of it in a short time. The fashionable stuff for trousers at the present is a dark-coloured cable cord, and they are made to fit tightly at the knee, and swell gradually until they reach the boot, which they nearly cover. Velveteen is now seldom worn, and knee-breeches are quite out of date. Those who deal wholly in fish wear a blue serge apron, either hanging down or tucked up round their waist. The costermonger, however, prides himself most of all upon his neckerchief and boots. Men, women, boys and girls all have a passion for these articles. The man who does not wear his silk neckerchief, his king's man, as it is called, is known to be in desperate circumstances, the inference being that it has gone to supply the morning's stock money. A yellow flower on a green ground, or a red and blue pattern, is at present greatly in vogue. The women wear their kerchiefs tucked in under their gowns, and the men have theirs wrapped loosely round the neck, with the ends hanging over their waistcoats. Even if a costermonger has two or three silk handkerchiefs by him already, he seldom hesitates to buy another, when tempted with a bright showy pattern hanging from a field-lane doorpost. The costermonger's love of a good strong boot is a singular prejudice that runs throughout the whole class. From the father to the youngest child all will be found well shod. So strong is their predilection in this respect that a costermonger may be immediately known by a glance at his feet. He will part with everything rather than his boots, and to wear a pair of second-hand ones or translators, as they are called, is felt as a bitter degradation by them all. Among the men this pride has risen to such a pitch that many will have their upper leathers tastily ornamented, and it is not uncommon to see the younger men of this class with a heart or a thistle surrounded by a wreath of roses worked below the instep on their boots. The general costume of the women or girls is a black velveteen or straw bonnet, with a few ribbons or flowers, and almost always a net cap fitting closely to the cheek. The silk king's man covering their shoulders is sometimes tucked into the neck of the printed cotton gown, and sometimes the ends are brought down outside to the apron strings. Silk dresses are never worn by them, 
they rather despise such articles the petticoats are worn short ending at the ankles just high enough to show the whole of the much admired boots coloured or illustrated shirts as they are called are especially objected to by the men on the sunday no costermonger will if he can possibly avoid it wheel a barrow if a shilling be an especial object to him he may perhaps take his shallow and head-basket as far as chalk farm or some neighbouring resort but even then he objects strongly to the sunday trading they leave this to the jews and irish who are always willing to earn a penny as they say the prosperous coster will have his holiday on the sunday and if possible his sunday suit as well which usually consists of a rough beaver hat brown petersham with velvet facings of the same colour and cloth trousers with stripes down the side the women generally manage to keep by them a cotton gown of a bright showy pattern and a new shawl as one of the craft said to me costers likes to see their gals and wives look ladylike when they takes them out such of the costers as are not in a flourishing way of business seldom make any alteration in their dress on the sunday there are but five tailors in london who make the garb proper to costermongers one of these is considered somewhat slop or as a coster called him a springer up this springer up is blamed by some of the costermongers who condemn him for employing women at reduced wages a whole court of costermongers i was assured would withdraw their custom from a tradesman if one of their body who had influence among them showed that the tradesman was unjust to his workpeople the tailor in question issues bills after the following fashion i give one verbatim merely withholding the address for obvious reasons one try you'll come again slap up tog and out and out kicksy's builder mr blank nabs the chance of putting his customers awake that he's just made his escape from russia not forgetting to clap his mawleys upon some of the right sort of ducks to make single and double-backed slops for gentlemen in black when on his return home he was stunned to find one of the top manufacturers of manchester had cut his lucky and stepped off to the swan stream leaving behind him a valuable stock of moleskins cords velveteens plushes swan downs and so on and i having some ready in my kick grabbed the chance and stepped home with me swag and am now safe landed at my crib i can turn out toggery of every description very slap up at the following low prices for ready gilt tick being no go upper benjamins built on a downy plan a monarch to half a finnuff slap up velveteen togs lined with the same one pound one quarter and a peg moleskin ditto any colour lined with the same one counter a pair of kerseymere kicksies any colour built very slap up with the artful dodge a canary pair of stout cord ditto built in the melton mowbray style half a sov pair of very broad cord ditto made very saucy nine bob and a kick pair of long sleeve moleskin all colours built hanky spanky with a double fakement down the side and artful buttons at bottom half a monarch pair of stout ditto built very serious nine times 
pair of out-and-out fancy-sleeve kicksies cut to drop down on the trotters two bulls waist-togs cut long with moleskin back and sleeves ten peg blue cloth ditto cut slap with pearl buttons fourteen peg mud-pipes knee-caps and trotter cases built very low a decent allowance made to seedy swells tea-kettle purgers head-robbers and flunkies out of collar n b gentlemen finding their own broadie can be accommodated of the diet and drink of costermongers it is less easy to describe the diet of costermongers than it is to describe that of many other of the labouring classes for their diet so to speak is an outdoor one they breakfast at a coffee stall and if all their means have been expended in purchasing their stock and none of it be yet sold they expend on the meal only one penny reserved for the purpose for this sum they can procure a small cup of coffee and two thin note that is to say two thin slices of bread and butter end note. for dinner which on a weekday is hardly ever eaten at the costermonger's abode they buy block ornaments as they call the small dark-coloured pieces of meat exposed on the cheap butcher's blocks or counters these they cook in a tap-room half a pound costing twopence if time be an object the coster buys a hot pie or two preferring fruit pies when in season and next to them meat pies we never eat eel pies said one man to me because we know they're often made of large dead eels we of all people are not to be had that way but the aristocrats eats them and never knows the difference i did not hear that these men had any repugnance to meat pies but the use of the dead eel happens to come within the immediate knowledge of the costermongers who are indeed its purveyors saveloys with a pint of beer or a glass of short note, neat gin end note, is with them another common weekday dinner the costers make all possible purchases of street dealers and pride themselves in thus sticking to their own on sunday the costermonger when not cracked up enjoys a good dinner at his own abode this is always a joint most frequently a shoulder or half-shoulder of mutton and invariably with lots of good taters baked along with it in the quality of their potatoes these people are generally particular the costermonger's usual beverage is beer and many of them drink hard having no other way of spending their leisure but in drinking and gambling it is not unusual in a good time for a costermonger to spend twelve shillings out of every twenty shillings in beer and pleasure i ought to add that the single fellows instead of living on block ornaments and the like live when doing well on the best fare at the spiciest cookshops on their rounds or in the neighbourhood of their residence there are some families of costermongers who have persevered in carrying out the principles of teetotalism one man thought there might be two hundred individuals including men women and children who practised total abstinence from intoxicating drinks these parties are nearly all somewhat better off than their drinking companions the number of teetotalers among the costers however was more numerous three or four years back of the cries rounds and days of costermongers i shall now proceed 
to treat of the london costermonger's mode of doing business in the first place all the goods they sell are cried or hawked and the cries of the costermongers in the present day are as varied as the articles they sell the principal ones uttered in a sort of cadence are now new mackerel six a shilling note i've got a good jacketing many a sunday morning said one dealer for waking people up with crying mackerel but i've said i must live while you sleep End note. buy a pair of live soles three pair for sixpence or with a barrow soles a penny a pair a penny a pair place alive alive cheap buy a pound crab cheap pineapples halfpenny a slice mussels a penny a quart oysters a penny a lot salmon alive sixpence a pound cod alive tuppence a pound real yarmouth bloaters two a penny new herrings alive sixteen a groat note this is the loudest cry of any End note. penny a bunch turnips note the same with greens cabbages and so on End note. all new nuts penny half pint oranges to a penny all large and alive oh new sprats oh penny a plate wild hampshire rabbits to a shilling cherry ripe tuppence a pound fine ripe plums penny a pint ingans a penny a quart eels three pounds a shilling large live eels three pounds a shilling the continual calling in the streets is very distressing to the voice one man told me that it had broken his and that very often while out he lost his voice altogether they seem to have no breath the men say after calling for a little while the repeated shouting brings on a hoarseness which is one of the peculiar characteristics of hawkers in general the costers mostly go out with a boy to cry their goods for them if they have two or three hallooing together it makes more noise than one and the boys can shout better and louder than the men the more noise they can make in a place the better they find their trade street selling has been so bad lately that many have been obliged to have a drum for their bloaters to drum the fish off as they call it in the second place the costermongers as i said before have mostly their little bit of a round that is they go only to certain places and if they don't sell their goods they work back the same way again if they visit a respectable quarter they confine themselves to the mews near the gentlemen's houses they generally prefer the poorer neighbourhoods they go down or through almost all the courts and alleys and avoid the better kind of streets unless with lobsters rabbits or onions if they have anything inferior they visit the low irish districts for the irish people they say want only quantity and care nothing about quality that they don't study but if they have anything they wish to make a price of they seek out the mews and try to get it off among the gentlemen's coachmen for they will have what is good or else they go among the residences of mechanics for their wives they say like good living as well as the coachmen some costers on the other hand go chance rounds concerning the busiest days of the week for the costers trade they say wednesdays and fridays are the best because they are regular fish days these two days are considered to be those on which the poorer classes generally run short of money 
wednesday night is called draw night among some mechanics and labourers that is they then get a portion of their wages in advance and on friday they run short as well as on the wednesday and have to make shift for their dinners with the few halfpence they have left they are glad to pick up anything cheap and the street fishmonger never refuses an offer besides he can supply them with a cheaper dinner than any other person in the season the poor generally dine upon herrings the poorer classes live mostly on fish and the dropped and rough fish is bought chiefly for the poor the fish huckster has no respect for persons however one assured me that if prince halbert was to stop him in the street to buy a pair of soles off him he'd as soon sell him a rough pair as any other man indeed i'd take in my own father he added if he wanted to deal with me saturday is the worst day of all for fish for then the poor people have scarcely anything at all to spend saturday night however the street seller takes more money than at any other time in the week of the costermongers on their country rounds some costermongers go what they term country rounds and they speak of their country expeditions as if they were summer excursions of mere pleasure they are generally variations from a life growing monotonous it was computed for me that at present three out of every twenty costermongers take a turn in the country at least once a year before the prevalence of railways twice as many of these men carried their speculations in fish fruit or vegetables to a country mart some did so well that they never returned to london two for instance after a country round settled at salisbury they are now regular shopkeepers and very respectable too was said to me for i believe they're both pretty tidy off for money and are growing rich the railway communication supplies the local dealer with fish vegetables or any perishable article with such rapidity and cheapness that the london itinerant's occupation in the towns and villages about the metropolis is now half gone in the following statement by a costermonger the mode of life on a country round is detailed with something of an assumption of metropolitan superiority it was fine time sir ten years back ay and five year back in the country and it ain't so bad now if a man's known it depends on that now far more than it did and on a man's knowing how to work a village why i can tell you if it wasn't for such as me there's many a man working on a farm would never taste such a nice thing as a fresh herring never sir it's a feast at a poor country labourer's place when he springs sixpenneth of fresh herrings some for supper and some in salt for the next day i've taken a shilling's worth to a farmer's door on a darkish night in a cold autumn and they'd a warm and good dish for supper and looked on me as a sort of friend we carry them relishes from london and they like london relishes for we know how to set them off i've fresh herring the whole village near guildford first thing in the morning i've drummed round guildford too and done well i've waked up kingston with herrings i've been as welcome as anything to the soldiers in the barracks at brentwood and romford and maidstone with my fresh herrings for they're good customers in two days i've made two pounds out of ten shillings worth of fresh herrings bought at billingsgate i always lodge at a public house in the country so do all of us for the publicans are customers we are well received at the public houses some of us go there for the handiness of the lush i've done pretty well with red herrings in the country a barrel holds say eight hundred we sell the barrels at sixpence apiece and the old women fight after them 
They pitch and tar them to make water-barrels. More of us would settle in the country, only there's no life there. The most frequented round is from Lambeth to Wandsworth, Kingston, Richmond, Guildford, and Farnham. The costermonger is then sold out, as he calls it. He has disposed of his stock, and returns by the way which is most lightly told, no matter if the saving of one penny or tuppence entail some miles extra travelling. It cost me fifteen pence for tolls from Guildford for an empty cart and donkey, said a costermonger, just up from the country. Another round is to Croydon, Reigate, and the neighbourhoods. Another to Edgware, Kilburn, Watford, and Barnet. Another to Maidstone. But the costermonger, if he starts trading at a distance, as he now does frequently, has his barrow and goods sent down by railway to such towns as Maidstone, so he saves the delay and cost of a donkey-cart. A mate sees to the transmission of the goods from London, the owner walking to Maidstone, to be in readiness to work them immediately he receives them. The railway's an ease and a saving, I was told. I've got a stock sent for two shillings, and a donkey's keep would cost that for the time it would be in travelling. There's five thousand of us, I think, might get a living in the country if we stuck to it entirely. If the country enterprise be a failure, the men sometimes abandon it in a pet, sell their goods at any loss, and walk home, generally getting drunk as the first step to their return. Some have been known to pawn their barrow on the road for drink. This they call doing queer. In summer the costermongers carry plums, peas, new potatoes, cucumbers, and quantities of pickling vegetables especially green walnuts, to the country. In winter their commodities are onions, fresh and red herrings, and sprats. I don't know how it is, said one man to me, but we sell ingans and all sorts of fruits and vegetables cheaper than they can buy them where they're grown, and green walnuts too, when you'd think they had only to be knocked off a tree. Another costermonger told me that, in the country, he and his mates attended every dance or other amusement, if it wasn't too respectable. Another said, If I'm idle in the country on a Sunday, I never go to church. I never was in a church. I don't know why, for my silk handkerchief's worth more than one of their smock frocks, and is quite as respectable. Some costermongers confine their exertions to the fairs and races, and many of them are connected with the gypsies, who are said to be the usual receivers of the stolen handkerchiefs at such places. Of the Earnings of Costermongers The earnings of the costermonger, the next subject of inquiry that, in due order, presents itself, vary as much as in more fashionable callings, for he is greatly dependent on the season, though he may be little affected by London being full or empty concurrent testimony supplied me with the following estimate of their earnings. I cite the average earnings, apart from any charges or drawbacks, of the most staple commodities. In January and February the costers generally sell fish. In these months the wealthier of the street fishmongers, or those who can always command money to go to market, enjoy a kind of monopoly. The wintry season renders the supply of fish dearer and less regular, 
so that the poorer dealers cannot buy at first hand and sometimes cannot be supplied at all while the others monopolize the fish more or less and will not sell it to any of the other street dealers until a profit has been realized out of their regular customers and the demand partially satisfied why i've known one man sell ten pounds worth of fish most of it mackerel at his stall in whitecross street said a costermonger to me and all in one snowy day in last january it was very stormy at that time and fish came in unregular and he got a haul i've known him sell two pounds worth in an hour and once two pound ten shillings worth for i then helped at his stall if people has dinner parties they must have fish and gentlemen's servants came to buy the average earnings however of those that go rounds in these months are computed not to exceed eight shillings a week monday and saturday being days of little trade in fish march is dreadful said an itinerant fish-seller to me we don't average i'm satisfied more nor four shillings a week i've had my barrow idle for a week sometimes at home every day though it had to be paid for all the same at the latter end of march if it's fine it's a shilling a week better because there's flower roots in all are growing you know sir and that lasts until april and we then make above six shillings a week i've heard people say when i've cried all are growing on a finish day ay now summers are coming i wish you may get it says i to myself for i've studied the seasons in may the costermonger's profit is greater he vends fresh fish of which there is a greater supply and a greater demand and the fine and often not very hot weather ensures its freshness and he sells dried herrings and roots as they are called such as wallflowers and stocks the average earnings then are from ten shillings to twelve shillings a week in june new potatoes peas and beans tempt the costermonger's customers and then his earnings rise to one pound a week in addition to this one pound if the season allow a costermonger at the end of the week i was told by an experienced hand will earn an extra ten shillings if he has anything of a round why i've cleared thirty shillings myself he added on a saturday night in july cherries are the principal article of traffic and then the profit varies from four shillings to eight shillings a day weather permitting or thirty shillings a week on a low average on my inquiry if they did not sell fish in that month the answer was no sir we pitch fish to the blank we stick to cherries strawberries raspberries and ripe currants and gooseberries potatoes is getting good and cheap then and so is peas many a round's worth a crown every day of the week in august the chief trading is in orleans plums plums greengages apples and pears and in this month the earnings are from five shillings to six shillings a day note i may here remark that the costermongers care little to deal in either vegetables or fish when the fruit's in but they usually carry a certain supply of vegetables all the year round for those customers who require them End note. in september apples are vended and about two shillings and sixpence a day made in october the weather gets cold i was told and the apples gets fewer and the day's work's over at four we then deals most in fish such as soles there's a good bit done in oysters 
and we may make one shilling or one shilling and sixpence a day, but it's uncertain. In November, fish and vegetables are the chief commodities, and then from one shilling to one shilling and sixpence a day is made. But in the latter part of the month, an extra sixpence or shilling a day may be cleared, as sprats come in and sell well when newly introduced. In December, the trade is still principally in fish, and twelvepence or eighteen pence a day is the costermonger's earnings. Towards the close of the month, he makes rather more, as he deals in new oranges and lemons, holly, ivy, and so on, and in Christmas week he makes three shillings or four shillings a day. These calculations give an average of about fourteen shillings and sixpence a week, when a man pursues his trade regularly. One man calculated it for me at fifteen shillings average the year through, that is, supposing, of course, that the larger earnings of the summer are carefully put by to eke out the winter's income. This, I need hardly say, is never done. Prudence is a virtue which is comparatively unknown to the London costermongers. They have no knowledge of savings banks, and to expect that they themselves should keep their money by them untouched for months, even if they had the means of so doing, is simply to expect impossibilities, to look for the continued withstanding of temptation among a class who are unused to the least moral or prudential restraint. Some costers, I am told, make upwards of thirty shillings a week all the year round, but allowing for cessations in the street trade, through bad weather, neglect, ill health, or casualty of any kind, and taking the more prosperous costers with the less successful, the English with the Irish, the men with the women, perhaps ten shillings a week may be a fair average of the earnings of the entire body the year through. These earnings, I am assured, were five years ago at least twenty-five per cent higher. Some said they made half as much again. I can't make it out how it is, said one man, but I remember that I could go out and sell twelve bushel of fruit in a day when sugar was dear, and now when sugar's cheap, I can't sell three bushel on the same round. Perhaps we want thinning. Such is the state of the working classes say all the costers they have little or no money to spend why i can assure you declared one of the parties from whom i obtained much important information there's my missus she sits at the corner of the street with fruit eight years ago she would have taken eight shillings out of that street on a saturday and last saturday week she had one bushel of apples which cost one and sixpence she was out from ten in the morning till ten at night and all she took that day was one shilling and sevenpence halfpenny. Go to whoever you will, you will hear much upon the same thing. Another told me, The costers are often obliged to sell the things for what they gave for them. The people haven't got money to lay out with them. They tell us so, and if they're poor, we must be poor too. If we can't get a profit upon what goods we buy with our stock money, let it be our own or anybody's else, we're compelled to live upon it, and when that's broken into, we must either go to the workhouse or starve. If we go to the workhouse, they'll give us a piece of dry bread and abuse us worse than dogs. Indeed, the whole course of my narratives show how the costers generally, though far from universally, complain of the depressed state of their trade. 
the following statement was given to me by a man who for twelve years had been a stallkeeper in a street market it shows to what causes he and i found others express similar opinions attributes the depression i never knew things so bad as at present never i had six prime codfish weighing fifteen pounds to twenty pounds each yesterday and the day before and had to take two home with me last night and lost money on the others besides all my time and trouble and expense i had a hundred herrings too that cost three shillings prime quality and i only sold ten out of them in a whole day i had two pads of soles sir and lost four shillings that is one pad by them i took only four shillings the first day i laid in this stock and only two and sixpence the next i then had to sell for anything i could get and throw some away yet people say mine's a lazy easy life i think the fall-off is owing to meat being so cheap because people buy that rather than my goods as they think there's more stay in it i'm afeard things'll get worse too he then added by way of sequitur though it is difficult to follow the reasoning if this here is free trade then to h blank with it i say of the capital and income of the costermongers i shall now pass from the consideration of the individual earnings to the income and capital of the entire body great pains have been taken to ensure exactitude on these points and the following calculations are certainly below the mark in order to be within due bounds i will take the costermongers exclusive of their wives and families at ten thousand whereas it would appear that their numbers are upwards of eleven thousand one thousand carts at three pounds three shillings each three thousand one hundred and fifty pounds donkeys and occasionally ponies are harnessed to barrows five thousand barrows at two pounds each ten thousand pounds one thousand five hundred donkeys at one pound five shillings each one thousand eight hundred and seventy five pounds note one intelligent man thought there were two thousand donkeys but i account that in excess End note. two hundred ponies at five pounds each one thousand pounds note some of these ponies among the very first-class men are worth twenty pounds one was sold by a coster for thirty pounds End note. one thousand seven hundred sets of harness at five shillings each four hundred and twenty-five pounds note all calculated as worn and second-hand four thousand baskets or shallows at one shilling each two hundred pounds three thousand five hundred stalls or standings at five shillings each eight hundred and seventy five pounds note the stall and barrow men have generally baskets to be used when required End note. ten thousand weights scales and measures at two shillings and sixpence each one thousand two hundred and fifty pounds note, it is difficult to estimate this item with exactitude many average the value at three shillings and fourpence End note. stock money for ten thousand costers at ten shillings each five thousand pounds total capital twenty three thousand seven hundred and seventy five pounds very nearly twenty four thousand pounds then at the most moderate computation represents the value of the animals vehicles and stock belonging to the costermongers in the streets of london 
the keep of the donkeys is not here mixed up with their value and i have elsewhere spoken of it the whole course of my narrative shows that the bulk of the property in the street goods and in the appliances for their sale is in the hands of usurers as well as of the costers the following account shows the sum paid yearly by the london costermongers for the hire rent or interest note i have heard each word applied end note of their barrows weights baskets and stock hire of three thousand barrows at one shilling and threepence a week nine thousand seven hundred and fifty pounds hire of six hundred weights scales and so on at one shilling and sixpence a week for two and sixpence a week for ten months one thousand and twenty pounds hire of one hundred baskets and so on at sixpence a week one hundred and thirty pounds interest on two thousand five hundred pounds stock money at a hundred and twenty five pounds a week six thousand five hundred pounds calculating at one shilling interest weekly for twenty shillings total paid for hire and interest seventeen thousand four hundred pounds concerning the income of the entire body of costermongers in the metropolis i estimate the earnings of the ten thousand costermongers taking the average of the year at ten shillings weekly my own observations the results of my inquiries confirmed by the opinion of some of the most intelligent of the costermongers induce me to adopt this amount it must be remembered that if some costermongers do make thirty shillings a week through the year others will not earn a fourth of it and hence many of the complaints and sufferings of the class then there is the drawback in the sum paid for hire interest and so on by numbers of these people so that it appears to me that if we assume the income of the entire body including irish and english to be fifteen shillings a week per head in the summer and five shillings a week each in the winter as the two extremes or a mean of ten shillings a week all the year through we shall not be far out either way the aggregate earnings of the london costermongers at this rate are five thousand pounds per week or two hundred and sixty thousand pounds yearly reckoning that thirty thousand individuals have to be supported out of this sum it gives an average of three shillings four pence a week per head but it is important to ascertain not only the earnings or aggregate amount of profit made by the london costermongers in the course of the year but likewise their receipts or aggregate amount of takings and thus to arrive at the gross sum of money annually laid out by the poorer classes of the metropolis in the matter of fish fruit and vegetables alone assuming that the average profits of the costermongers are at the rate of twenty five per cent note and this i am satisfied is a high estimate for we should remember that though cent per cent may be frequently obtained still their goods being of a perishable nature are as frequently lost or sold off at a tremendous sacrifice End note. assuming then i say that the average profits of the entire ten thousand individuals are twenty five per cent on the cost price of their stock and that the aggregate amount of their profits or earnings is upwards of two hundred and sixty thousand pounds it follows that the gross sum of money laid out with the london costers in the course of the twelvemonth is one million and forty thousand pounds sterling 
a sum so enormous as almost to make us believe that the tales of individual want are matters of pure fiction large however as the amount appears in the mass till if distributed among the families of the working men and the poorer class of londoners it will be found that it allows but the merest pittance per head per week for the consumption of those articles which may be fairly said to constitute the staple commodities of the dinners and desserts of the poor. End of section 9